This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada. Chelsea Regan, and welcome to the Bookmark Podcast. Today, I'll be talking to Jenica Cohen about her latest young adult novel, My Fine Fellow, which is a gender-swapped retelling of the musical classic, My Fair Lady. In this version, culinarians Penelope and Helena try to turn street merchant Elijah into a gentleman chef and set him up in a royal cooking competition. It's a historical fiction with a slight twist on British history and a romance that will have you hoping for a happy ending. I am so glad we have Jenica here to tell us all about it, so let's get started. Hey, Jenica, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Of course. And I was hoping we could start with you giving our listeners just a brief introduction to you and your latest book. Okay, so I'm Jenica Cohen, and I am an author of young adult historical fiction I grew up in Northern California, and I've lived there the majority of my life, but I also am sort of an Anglophile, which you can tell if you read my books, and (laughs) I've done a number of long-ish stints in the UK. One was at Cambridge for a summer program during college, where I kind of learned some of the ins and outs of what the university life is there, and then got a chance to travel around and ingest the culture, I suppose. I've sort of been interested in England since I started reading Jane Austen and Bronte and all the classic authors. So that's a bit about me. And the book is My Friend Fellow, as you said, and I think you kind of covered it. It's basically gender swap, My Fair Lady Pygmalion, but then I've made quite a few changes, especially in the third act. No, that's perfect. And this is actually your second historical fiction YA book. Your first, Dangerous Alliance, an ostentatious romance, came out in late 2019. I was wondering what drew you to this specific YA genre of historical fiction? I think it's because I grew up really loving historical fiction and reading it. So that's sort of where I began. And then you know, in college, I kind of got into historical romance. And so that's where Dangerous Alliance came out of. It was Jane Austen mixed with historical romance, mixed with the YA, you know, milieu, <laughs> basically. And then this one, I love musicals. I have been acting in musicals since I was maybe eight years old, I think. You know, I have a great love of musical theater. And this one, I kind of just wanted to do something that I really loved or like mash a bunch of things together that I really enjoyed. I mean, I did that with Dangerous Lives as well, but this one, sort of a departure insofar as alternate history, which I've also gotten into in recent years. No, that's cool. And like you said, this is a gender swapped retelling. And for some reason, I keep reading gender swap stories. I don't know if it's just my imagination, but it does feel like we're kind of in this golden age of gender swapped YA retellings. I'm always really curious with each of them, but especially with this one, why you picked the specific story of My Fair Lady and why you thought that was a good story for this particular kind of treatment. 
Okay, yeah. So besides the fact that I really love this play and this musical and the play that came before it, and I didn't think anyone had really done one. That was my first inkling of a idea, I guess. And then the fact that My Fair Lady and Pygmalion, there's so much misogyny in there. When I rewatch it, the movies usually, I will sit there and <laughs> say, wow, this is great. But it's also sad because of the inherent misogyny in here from the early 1900s and then the 1950s and 60s for the musical. I just always kind of wished there was less of it being, a, you know, a kid of the 90s and 2000s. It was something that I thought could bear retelling without the misogyny and yet still be pretty relevant with all the different themes that are going through it. Yeah, I love what you said there, too, about how the original story, its biggest problem is the misogyny. And so using a gender-swapped story helps with some of that because it obviously puts everyone in a different position than they would have been based on gender in the original. So it's kind of like double reason both to do the retelling but also to do it gender-swapped and to give the women agency. And I love that one of the ways in this story, as you mentioned, it's sort of different history. There were a couple of additions that you made to British history of this time. But one of the things I really enjoyed was this profession you created of the culinarians, of these women who kind of chefs and kind of food influencers almost. Like, (laughs) they have this really cool combination of skills, and it was specifically a career for women. I was wondering if there was a historical equivalent that you took inspiration from, or if that's something that came entirely out of your own imagination as you were putting these characters together. There was no historical equivalent that I can pinpoint. One of my issues was that I wanted to write a story where these girls had a lot of agency and, you know, like the sky's the limit for them. And I was trying to figure out how I could possibly make that happen in the 1830s. (laughs) I was like, well, I can just change history. (laughs) That's the easiest way to do it. So that's sort of what I decided to do. You know, girls at this time period were not allowed to have a job unless they were of the lower class. But high-class girls and women were not allowed to have a job. You were completely looked down upon if you even attempted one. I thought this would be really cool to have girls who are obsessed with food. Like you said, I think that's a really good kind of analog is the influencer thing. I didn't even think about that, but I think you're right. Like, that's sort of what they are because they're the top of their profession. And even these men come and consult with them to get the best table and the best banquet. I just thought it was really going to be a fun idea and something I could play around with quite a bit. And I mean, you definitely did. Your book is this really cool combination of historical fiction, this musical retelling, but also like a cooking competition, (laughs) which those things all seem like so difficult to put together. And from the outside, I don't know how they would work. But then reading your book, I was like, oh, this all makes complete sense. I totally see this. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you put those different elements together and how that sort of all came together, maybe as you were plotting the story or as you were writing it. Yeah, so I was brainstorming ideas and trying to figure out how I would do with my fair lady retelling. First, it was the gender swap thing so that I could have a little more feminism in there. And then I thought, I didn't want to do it like a straight retelling with just the language where they're teaching him how to speak better. Because I felt like that would be a little, just not as interesting as if I could figure out a different element. And so I really love watching food competitions. <laughs> and so I thought, 
hey, why don't I do this? And also, I love books about food. I mean, there are many, but also there aren't as many as you might think, I guess. So I really wanted to kind of integrate all these different little things that I enjoy, and food competitions were one of them. The problems came when I was actually drafting the book, because I had the synopsis, but I didn't know the details of the food competition or anything. And so when I was drafting the book, I had to come up with, like, what are the rules going to be? Where are they going to go and do? And how are we going to make it work logistically? And that was the biggest struggle for me. That and, like, coming up with all these cool dishes. I had to do a lot of digging on the Internet for inspiration. You know, on Pinterest, I would, like, look for different pictures of food, basically. I had to look for gourmet stuff and then integrate it with what existed at the time. Because I didn't want to go too far out of the realm of the food they could get or like the techniques they could do like I wasn't going to go all the way and do molecular gastronomy or anything because I just didn't see any way for that to happen but it was anything besides that basically yeah coming up with the dishes was extremely difficult just it took a lot of time and a lot of research so I always wonder that with books that include food from people who are not like professional chefs like the difference between cookbooks and fiction that has food in it Just how much research it takes to make sure you're getting the specifics of food and food preparation correct. I like that you took the route of not just retelling My Fair Lady with, like, we're teaching someone who uses a more common accent to use a posher accent. It just made so much more sense that they were doing something for the purpose of this competition. And there was this additional skill that he was learning and that he had shown promise towards that they were trying to teach him. And the skill that they themselves had learned, it wasn't just that they grew up in a fancy world. It was that the women had gone through an education in culinary studies and sciences and were passing that knowledge along. I thought it just made it more grounded version of this story rather than just like, we're going to teach this person we found to be fancy and it's going to be great. Yeah, you know, that doesn't totally translate nowadays. Like, obviously, that makes total sense for the time it was written. I don't think it would translate as well today. No, for sure. My Fair Lady is definitely a product of its time, and I like how you brought it into our time in several different ways. But I thought the cooking was a fun addition to that. (laughs) I definitely want to talk about the quintessential trio that's always going to be at the heart of any version of this story. I wanted to start with Helena, because Mm -hmm. there are these moments where I'm reading her and I'm like, I really enjoy reading her. Like, she's got this confidence and this bravado, and she has so much almost idealism about the world. She really knows what she wants, and she goes and gets it and is not apologizing for it. And I love that. Who's doing it nicely. But she (laughs) has these – then that's the problem is she has these moments where you're also like, are you the villain? Oh, no. I was just rooting for you, and now suddenly you're saying and doing things that I really don't agree with. She's this such clear example of what can happen with confidence and privilege, too, to a big extent. Mm-hmm. Just go, like, way too far and yeah. what that can create in a person, even a pretty well-meaning person. I was wondering, mm-hmm. as you were writing her, how did you view her character? And how did you walk that line of keeping her someone the audience could root for while also writing her honest to who she was and the things that she still had to learn? She is a difficult character. I think you're saying this very diplomatically because it was a struggle. You know, I started out writing her and initially I was having a great time because of, oh, this girl, she doesn't care about anything or anybody. She's just going about her life and hashtag be yourself, I guess. But she's kind of awful in many parts of the book. So, yeah, I got to the point as I was drafting it where I was having trouble getting into her head I don't think like that. I know some people who do think like that, and so, like, I would try to channel them, but it's difficult. And first draft, I was trying to do as few scenes in her point of view as I could. She's tough. I don't want to really 
deal with her point of view. And then in subsequent drafts, my editor was like, couldn't you get into her head a bit more? And I was like, well, I have to. <laughs> but I did. Yeah, she's a difficult character. And I'm not going to spoil anything. You know, there are some points where I feel like I might walk away from a friendship like that. So she's an interesting one. I'm curious to see what other people will think. She does become the antagonist. She's not like a straight villain, but she does have a lot of those elements, you could say. But also, I feel like a lot of people know people like her. So maybe that would make her even more polarizing, because if you know someone like her, you either deal with that kind of person or you don't. You know, you walk away from that type of person. So I'm curious to see what other people will think. No, for sure. And I like that you made that an option for your characters, too. When she was being awful, she was called out on it. It wasn't swept under the rug or just like, no, that's just who she is. The people Mm -hmm. around her were like, no, this is not okay. You can't treat people (laughs) this way. I really appreciate that element, too, for sure. Well, and I also, I feel like, to go back to the source material a bit, Henry Higgins is the antagonist of that story. Of course, there's society, but that's like a bigger goal. But he is the one who treats Eliza Doolittle like garbage and <laughs> half the time. And so I was like, okay, I can't lose that part of her character, but also I didn't want her to be like a straight misogynist or the opposite of misogynist, I suppose, which that word eludes me. <laughs> anyway, I was like, I have to be true to that. And yet also like she's a totally different character. And I wanted to call out the privilege I've made her a more privileged character than Henry Higgins is. Henry Higgins in the original is, he's middle class. He doesn't think he is, but he is. And that's one of the things Shaw says in, I think there's some of his writings, he talks about how the irony is that Henry Higgins is trying to make Eliza Doolittle into this girl who can pass as an aristocrat, and yet he is not anything near that. That's sort of the irony there. But I did want to make Helena actually in the aristocratic world, because I have these two other characters who are, well, like, Penelope's not quite at that level. You know, obviously, Elijah is a completely different social strata. So I want to bring the class thing in as well in a different way. And speaking of Penelope and Elijah, I really loved the relationship between the two of them. Not too many spoilers, but they were both able to stand up to Helena and have those moments. But they also just had really great moments with each other. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that, like, a romance blooms. They were the last people to know that there was a romance. <laughs> Random people who were in three scenes were like, oh, those two are in love, huh? And it's like, yeah, guys, come on. And I, I always love that in a romance where it's like, oh, these two, the last to know. Um, right. But there's kind of so much going on in this story because you do have these three characters each going on their own journey and this cooking competition and the bigger elements of that. But there's also this romance that goes throughout the story that was balanced really nicely with the other pieces of the plot. I was wondering, is that something that you designed as you were plotting the book or did that balance come as you were writing it? I always knew a romance was going to be in there between those two. Hopefully it doesn't spoil too much. But <laughs> honestly, I like a balancing act between the main storyline and then their romance, which I figured it out more or less in the first draft, but then had to go back in and add some extra scenes, some little scenes here and there, or like build on the scenes that I had. I think, for example, the lobster scene that I added back in in the subsequent draft. But yeah, no, I always kind of knew that. For the original, everyone always sort of wants Henry Higgins and Eliza Doodle to get together, right? And I was like, yeah, I don't see it. (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) So that's one of the things I wanted to change about the original. Because in Pygmalion, they don't get together. I mean, in both of them, they don't technically get together. But even George Bernard Shaw was like, no, these two characters will not be together romantically. He was very much against that. And so in the original play, 
there's nothing even remotely like that. She basically walks away from him and that's the end. In the musical, there's that famous scene at the end where she comes back and is like, oh, he's like, where are my slippers, woman? And she's like, oh, smile. (laughs) Like, oh, Henry Higgins, what a guy. You know, it's so weird. I find I see his point, George Bernard Shaw's point. Like, why would these two characters ever get together? It's really odd. I didn't want to do that either because I agreed with him about that path. Yeah, I was very happy. There's that little bit of worry where it's like, oh, please tell me we're not going to have. But no, it was like, okay, the people who treat each other nicely are the ones that fall in love. It's like, that's how the world works. Like, the idea that someone could be that terrible to someone else, someone could still be like, oh, but I love you. Like, it's fine. We're in love. It's like, "Mm, I don't think that's really how that works. Yeah, I don't think we should romanticize that. That's probably not great. I agree. I don't think we should either. You know, it's not healthy. Yeah, exactly. I just don't think it's great to have that trope where you're like, oh, the guy treats me terribly, or the roller guy treats me badly. I want to be with that person. It's like, no, why? That makes zero sense. I completely agree. I think it's so important in YA books to be like, yeah, bad boys can be fun in books. In the yeah, real world, people yeah. who, like, treat you nicely. Yeah. <laughs> a good life lesson in there. I actually, I wanted to ask, this is sort of a little bit of a change of topic, but you've made a lot of improvements, I think, to England. Like we were saying, women have a lot more agency, a big social change happening. But you've also remained true to several prejudices that existed then and also, honestly, still exist. I know you did a considerable amount of research, and I really liked your historical notes at the end of the book. And so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how you incorporated sort of that research into your story and building the London that you gave us. Yeah, I wanted to be true to the dynamics that existed. So Elijah is Jewish in this book. And I wanted to be true to those dynamics that existed in that time period. So that's one thing I didn't take too many liberties with. You know, like I left some stuff out. It's little stuff. But basically, I did a lot of research into the Jews of the 1800s and like late 1700s and how they were treated. I'm Jewish, so I wanted to be, you know, doubly sure I was correct on the historical aspects. It's interesting because in the research I learned that like Jews were treated better in England than they were in many countries in Europe, but it still wasn't great. You know, it wasn't like they had equal rights or they couldn't vote. They couldn't go to university. They couldn't work in the government. And they were banned from owning a store in the city of London, which becomes kind of a a large point in the book. So there was a lot of difficulties. And then especially for the immigrant Jews who were coming from different countries, even more difficult. And My grandparents came from Russia in the early 1900s and like late 1800s, they came to America. So I have this connection to the quote unquote, the old world, I guess, just through my ancestors. And I felt like that would be something interesting to put in this novel. So like the research, what I was doing was I was reading and I was writing at the same time because I had a deadline. Like with Dangerous Alliance, I was able to do a lot of research and like write the novel and then, you know, I would fix little things here and there. But with this one, I had a limited time. And so I had to do the reading, do the writing at the same time, and then incorporate what I could. Also, after I submitted the first draft, I was able to double check a lot of that research and then come back and put in more of the little details that I wasn't able to with the first draft. Yeah, and something I really liked about your book is even though there are these elements that are fictitious version of British history, it does feel like everything is researched really well. It doesn't feel like you were just like, I'm going to make up my own life, like, no rules out the window, I'm just going to make it up on my own. 
it feels yeah. like everything is there for a purpose and everything was placed where it was, whether it's truth or something that you created, everything was placed where it is for a very specific reason, even mm -hmm. within the historical context. I was really curious to hear about how you did that, but I think, I think you did a really nice job of it. Ultimately, your book really tells the story of how important it is to get to know the person behind the label. And I love that how no one in your book is who you think they are at first glance. Everyone mm -hmm. has more behind them, even like minor characters. I was wondering if that was one of the lessons that you took away from My Fair Lady when you first experienced the story, or if that was something you were hoping to get across through retelling this story. And if not, some of the things that you did take away from My Fair Lady when you were younger. And I know you have yeah. the cassette tapes in the car, yeah. which I... Very much relate to. There are many musicals I don't know that I know the plot of, but I know every song from. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. So glad to hear that other people are like that. Yeah, I was trying to think back to when I first saw the show. I honestly don't remember because it was so long ago. But I think the first thing I took away when I was a kid was probably, I love the music. I think I love the music. That was like my big takeaway. But then for the story, I think it was the rags to riches thing. It's always fun to watch someone go through and even though it's awful for that person but it's a trope for a reason I think people enjoy watching people get a makeover and change their life you know what's my big takeaway now is that it's about a person who's trying to improve their life and be a better person and going about it maybe doesn't turn out the way you want it to but you know you made the effort and I think that's important I do think it's important to like to not stop growing as a human that's part of what I was trying to bring into this book. I think that, yeah, you're saying, like, they're not what you think they are at the beginning, you know, from the beginning to the middle of the end. I don't know if I did that unconsciously or not. You know, I think what it is is that because it's a retelling, you know that people are going to have perceptions of these characters. And then when that perception is kind of tweaked, you're going to be a little bit surprised. And I think that's part of the fun of a retelling, you know. Like, you don't read a retelling because you think everything's going to be the same as the original, because otherwise you would just go with the original. <laughs> and so I was trying to do that delicate balance. Yeah, and I think it's not just Elijah who sort of goes through a transformation either. All of your characters learn something important. And I think one of the things that really endeared me towards Helena is that, like, she has character development as well. She doesn't just stay exactly who she is. There's movement and learning and growth that happens for her as well. And and I love seeing that for all of the characters. I also love that there are, like, little moments where if you know the musical, you know little quotes yeah. or little, like, some of your chapter titles. I was like, ah, I see what you did there. And I really enjoyed that. Technically, it's all the chapter titles. Almost every single one is, like, a little piece of a lyric. Oh, well, I, I definitely <laughs> No, because some of them are very, that. some of them are really innocuous. And that's what I love about your book, too, is, like, if someone went into this having never seen My Fair Lady, they don't need to have any background. There's nothing you're going to miss because you don't know the story, right. but at the same time, if you do, or if you're a big fan of the musical, you're going to get a lot of little things that are going to make you excited. I was curious to know, I think something else that's really great about retellings, especially retellings of stories that are maybe not as in the public conscious as much anymore, is that they encourage younger readers to go back and find that source material. I would assume that like a lot of people will pick up this book and read it and really like it and be like, I haven't seen My Fair or like I haven't listened to My Fair Lady or I don't really know that story and might want to go find the musical or the movie or the play or whichever one they decide to go for. Yeah. I was wondering if there was anything you'd want to say to young readers who don't know the story of My Fair Lady and might go looking for it 
after they read your book, if you have any words of wisdom for them or maybe even any like warnings as they go in, obviously it is a slightly different story, but what would you say to people who want to experience that after reading My Fine Fellow? Well, I think they should definitely do that because I think the movie is, it's like one of the classic movies that if you're into movies at all, like it's one of those that you should see because it is gorgeous. And even the original movie, the Pygmalion movie with Leslie Howard and Dame Wendy Hiller, I think is a really good movie, black and white. So, you know, some people have hangups about black and white, but I think it's really good. And it's closer to George Bernard Shaw's vision, I think. But for either one, I would say go into it knowing that you're watching a movie from, you know, the mid-20th century. If you're watching My Fair Lady and if, you know, if you're watching the original, it's from the early 1900s. Go in there with that context, knowing that there's going to be misogyny. You're going to have to like, okay, well, boy, some of this stuff is tough. But I think that's the case with anything older. Honestly, like I have this conversation with people all the time about older material. You have to go into it with a mindset of not everything is going to be politically correct for our era. And there's going to be problematic things in there, probably. So as long as you go in there knowing that, I think you can still enjoy the material. Like, I know people who have started watching My Fair Lady, the movie, and said, I couldn't get through. I know, I couldn't stand it. It's it's so tough. Like, I, the misogyny is difficult. I was like, yeah, it is difficult. I mean, granted. That's, <laughs> but, like, if you know it's there, hopefully that's helpful to younger viewers. I don't know. But still, I think it's worthwhile because it has a lot to offer. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes going in knowing – where problems of what you're about to watch may come from, make it a little bit easier to be like, I was prepared as I sat down that this was something that was going to happen, but also beautiful music. So that helps. Um, (laughs) I really do hope that people who pick up your book and maybe haven't seen My Fair Lady, even just like give it a shot and see if they like it. Or, you know, they could just listen to the soundtrack and (laughs) enjoy the music that way as well. I will also say that the performances by the main actors they're amazing performances. Like, if you're into watching actors act, these are just, like, iconic performances. Rex Harrison and Audrey Hepburn in the My Fair Lady, obviously. And then, like, you can even go and watch on YouTube clips of the original Broadway production with Julie Andrews, who is amazing and one of my idols. <laughs> and then also the original with Leslie Howard and Dame Wendy Hiller. And they are great actors from their era. So, yeah, I think it's totally worthwhile just to see their performances, even. Like, if you're worried about the content, just to see those performances is worthwhile. No, for sure. And then to wrap things up, I, my final question was just, so we've had these two books. Are we going to get any more historical retellings in the future? Is there anything you can maybe tease about what we might be getting next? Honestly, I would love to do another one. I don't have anything I can talk about at the moment, unfortunately. <laughs> but No but yeah, worries, no, I hear that a lot. <laughs> I know. It's so much fun to do these. I think I find them really fun to do. So hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, they're really fun to read. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed as well. Thank you so much. Where can our listeners learn more about you and your books? Okay, my website is jennacacohen.com. And then I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter, jennica underscore Cohen. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. It was so wonderful getting to speak with you and to hear so much more about your book. I can't wait for more people to pick it up and to get to read it. Oh, thank you so much. It was so much fun. 
Yeah, of course. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at BookmarkedYA. You can also follow Bookstacked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Plucky Bookmark. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.